Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of baptism, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining the history of baptism before John the Baptist, which, of course, is very critical in order to understand how the people would have perceived the baptism that John was performing there on the Jordan. It's very important to understand the history of baptism, and I was explaining in the previous two programs that the history of baptism has to do with converting a Gentile to Judaism. It did not start with John the Baptist. John the Baptist used baptism, but it did not start with John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was baptizing, he was baptizing Jews, which was definitely different from what people understood about baptism. People understood that a Jew did not have to be baptized, that a Jew was not required to be baptized, that it was a way for a Gentile to become a Jew, not for a Jew to become anything else. So when John the Baptist was baptizing, it was a big deal. First of all, because people knew about baptism, and second of all, because he was baptizing Jews. Again, I want to emphasize this point, that the reason why the baptism of John was such a big deal in Israel was not because it was a new thing. It was because it was a known thing. It was because it was a recognized ritual for a purpose, the purpose of converting the Gentile to Judaism. This is a very important theme that you must recognize because this is something that carries through all the way through the book of Acts, through the history of the development of the early church. For example, in Acts chapter 10, it was discovered in Acts chapter 10 and in Acts chapter 11 that a Gentile did not have to convert to Judaism before they could become a Christian, before they could believe in Jesus as the Messiah and become a part of the church. That was in Acts chapter 10 that it was discovered and it was recognized by the Jews in Acts chapter 11. It was in Acts chapter 10 that people were baptized. After Acts chapter 10, yes, there were some baptisms that occurred, but this was not recognized as a means of conversion. Before Acts chapter 10, it was. And I will explain these verses in detail in future programs when I come to those passages. For now, it's important to see that this is the foundation. This is the history. It was the means by which a Gentile was converted to Judaism. So, beginning in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 19, we have the testimony of John. Yes, John baptized, Jesus was baptized, baptism was very important. But why was it important? John tells us exactly, precisely, why it was important. He told us why he baptized. Beginning in John chapter 1, verse 19, it is written, This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? 
And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And then in verse 23, John chapter 1 verse 23, he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. That's what he says in verse 31. He baptizes so that he can testify of the Messiah when he is identified. In verse 32, John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. This is the testimony of John, and I read this because I want you to hear the word of God concerning this. I want you to hear John's testimony concerning this. And that is that John came to baptize so that he could identify the Messiah. The Pharisees sent representatives, sent other Pharisees, to go and question John and ask him why he is baptizing. And John gave them an answer. That was that he was baptizing so that he could identify the Messiah. The Lord gave him a sign that he could use so that he could identify who the Messiah truly is. Okay, now I'm going to walk through these verses one more time because there is a lot that is contained here that is relevant to this subject. The first thing that I would like to refer to is verse 21 where they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Now, later on, Jesus said that John could be recognized as Elijah. So here, John says that he's not Elijah, but later on, Jesus says, yes, he was Elijah. So was he Elijah or was he not? Did he just simply not know that he was Elijah? Well, the answer to this question lies in the way that Jesus said this. The way that he said this was that if you would have received the testimony of John, then John would have fulfilled the office of Elijah. John testified that Jesus was the Messiah. They did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, so they did not receive the testimony of John. So technically, he did not fulfill the office or the expectation of Elijah. That was that Elijah or the spirit of Elijah would testify of the Messiah. So that is how I explain that John said he wasn't. Jesus said he would have been 
if they would have received the testimony of John. With reference to the prophet, it was expected that there would be a prophet, and this was testified of by Moses, that Moses said a prophet would come who would tell them of other things. And this was in reference to the new covenant. And the Lord Jesus fulfilled the role of the prophet, as was described by Moses. But they knew that there would be a forerunner, namely Elijah, who would testify of the Messiah. The Messiah was recognized as the prophet, as was defined by Moses. And also they are asking him if he is asking John, if he is the prophet, John says, no, he is not the prophet. That is another way of expressing that he is not the Messiah. But please understand that it was understood that through the invocation of a new covenant, there would be a difference between the old and the new to an extent, especially as was testified of by Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34 where he said in verse 31 that there would be a new covenant that would be established with the nation of Israel that would not be like the old. With that establishment, there was a belief back then that is not really in existence now. But back then, the Pharisees did recognize that the Messiah could potentially be someone that people would need to convert to or that there would need to be a conversion process through the new additional revelation that would be given by the Messiah to the children of Israel. And so through that, there was a suggestion that there would be a necessity for an immersion as part of a conversion. However, that was not really codified. That was not really official. And so this being cast in a question is a way of exposing that belief, that they believed and recognized that a conversion could very well be associated with the coming of the Messiah. But it was not an official doctrine, it was not an official codification or an agreed-upon expectation. That's an important thing to recognize, and I believe that the people would have understood this when they would have heard this testimony at this time in history. In verse 22, this is John chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? In other words, in verse 19, they asked him, Who do you think you are? In verse 22, they asked him again, Who do you think you are? And then in verse 23, he says that he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, quoting from Isaiah. And then in verse 25, they asked him, why are you baptizing? So the Pharisees asked John why he was baptizing. And then in the subsequent verses, John answers the question and says that he was baptizing to identify the Messiah. John did not baptize for the purpose of instituting a new Christian doctrine. He did not baptize people to give you a model so that you would know that you also would need to be baptized like Jesus was baptized, like the disciples were baptized. That's not what he said. That's what other people say today, but that's not what John said back then. And so please understand and distinguish between John's testimony and what other people are saying now, because people are saying something very different now versus what John said back then. What John said was very explicit, that yes, he baptized people, calling them to repentance, and I will come back to that in just a moment. But here in this context, it's important to see that he was baptizing so that he could identify the Messiah. Now, the identification takes place in verse 29 and verse 30, 
where John said that he was the Lamb of God. He said that this is the person who was of greater rank, who is higher, and that he existed before John the Baptist. He recognizes Jesus for who he is. He did not need the divine revelation that was expressed by the descending of the Holy Spirit like a dove. That did come, but John was able to recognize this person through the discernment that the living God gave John as Jesus was approaching him. So John fulfilled his purpose. He fulfilled his role by identifying Jesus as the Messiah. Now, in verse 31, it says, I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Now, he did recognize him before, but that was the same day, not beforehand as in a week earlier or something like that, except, of course, in his womb, where we have the testimony of him jumping in the womb of his mother in the Gospel of Luke. But here, what I'd like to focus on is verse 32, just for the moment. And that is, in verse 32, John chapter 1, verse 32, John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. Now, this is a very important phrase. This is a very important phrase that had deep meaning, deep meaning to the Pharisees in Israel at this time. Now, some people have suggested in modern times that perhaps it was a dove. Perhaps it was a dove that flew down and landed on Jesus' forehead or something like that. That is not what happened. That is not what he's saying. That is, that is definitely not what took place. He said that the Spirit would descend as a dove. He didn't say that a dove would descend and the Spirit would follow. That's not what he said. Now, this has very important meaning to it. It goes back to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, there is a description of the living God passing over the earth, passing over the waters of the earth. It is written in Genesis chapter 1 that he passed over, that he hovered over the waters. There is a word that is used there that is written in a very unique grammatical construct. The word is merahephet, Merachethet is a very unique word, grammatically speaking, because it is the word for hovering over something. However, it is written in what's called the passive intensive, the passive intensive verb form, the passive intensive construct. And this is a very difficult thing to describe. How do you describe something as being passive and yet very intensive? Well, the rabbis, the Pharisees, during the time of the Lord Jesus, had a very detailed description of this unique word. The way they described this word was they described the passive intensive hovering of the living God as being very similar to a dove hovering over her eggs with the anticipation that they were about to hatch. That was how they described the hovering of God over the waters on the face of the earth during creation. And so this phrase, this this phrase of a dove, or that the Holy Spirit would be like a dove, or that the Holy Spirit would descend as a dove, when John said that, that had a very distinctive meaning to the people who would have heard it because of the teaching of the Pharisees, of the word, which was used to describe the presence 
of the living God hovering over the waters over the face of the earth during creation. This was the meaning of the phrase that John was using, and the Pharisees taught that this would be a unique, a unique experience, a unique manifestation of the living God as his spirit would descend, would descend upon someone, would come upon someone and provide them with his divine discernment or his divine governance, his divine guidance in order to direct them as his unique representative. So when he uses this phrase, this phrase had deep meaning to the people he was speaking to. It was a way of saying that, yes, the creative God, the divine, descended upon this person. His Holy Spirit came upon this person. And John was the witness of this. He was the one who testified of this to say that by default, this person is definitely, without question, the Messiah who has been endorsed by the living God and testified of by his prophet, the one who is crying out, in the wilderness, the one who is prophesied of by Isaiah. That's the fullness of what he describes here in terms of his testimony of the baptism of Jesus. This was the baptism of John, yes, but it was the moment when Jesus was baptized. And so in this context, I would like to refer to this situation as the baptism of Jesus. Now in John chapter 1 verse 33, John follows up and testifies of the baptism that Jesus would perform. So when I refer to the baptism of Jesus, what I'm referring to is the baptism that Jesus experienced, but this is not the baptism that Jesus is going to give to others, that he is going to perform on others. In John chapter 1, verse 33, John said, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So John came to baptize with water. But Jesus came, and while he was baptized with water, yes, Jesus came not to baptize in water, but to baptize in the Holy Spirit. That was the testimony of John, that the baptism that Jesus would perform for others would not be the same baptism that he was doing. It would be a different baptism. Understand this. If the baptism that John performed was one in water, and the baptism that Jesus performs is one that is done in the Holy Spirit, then those are two different baptisms. Those are two completely different baptisms. So let me ask a very important question. Why is it that people believe, why do they believe that the baptism that Jesus supposedly does is the one that we experience in water? Why do people believe that? I will tell you why. The reason why is because they have no concept. They have no clue. They have no understanding concerning what it meant when John said that Jesus would baptize in the Holy Spirit. That's why. Because they have no idea. They just simply do not know. In other words, we have a huge number, a massive number of people in the world who have no concept of what John is speaking of, who have no idea, absolutely no idea. And so I believe 
that there is a lot of opportunity for a debate, a lot of opportunity for discussion, a lot of opportunity for disagreement. And it starts right here. This is where it starts. It starts with the fact that John said that he was going to baptize in water and that Jesus wasn't. Jesus was going to baptize in the Holy Spirit, that those are two completely different baptisms. Now, what that means, I'll have to explain in the next program. I don't have time for it in this program. I just want you to see, initially, that there is a difference, that there are two different baptisms, they are not the same. That's what John says. This is a very important thing to recognize, because if you don't see this, you're not going to see much of anything concerning the subject, except whatever people have an opinion of. But this will not be based on fact. This will not be based on a historical premise. It will not be based on what the scriptures clearly testify of. It will be based on other esoteric ideas that people come up with when they don't understand the scriptures. It is written by John himself that Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit and that this is not the same baptism that John was performing. Now, how would the baptism of Jesus in water be recognized by the people? I'll come back to the baptism in the Holy Spirit in the next program. But for the rest of this program, I'd like to focus on this idea, on the fact that Jesus was certainly baptized in water. How would the people have recognized that? What would they have understood about that? What would they have seen? Now, recall that the purpose for baptism was to convert a Gentile to Judaism, That was its purpose. When John was baptizing Jews, not Gentiles, when he was baptizing Jews, pay attention to this, when he was baptizing Jews and the Jews were allowing themselves to be baptized, it was a statement. It was a way of them saying that the Jews were just as unclean as the Gentiles, that the Jews needed to be converted through the baptism of repentance to repent from their sins and obey the law of Moses, that they needed to repent, that they were just as unclean, just as unworthy as a Gentile was. That was the statement that was being made through John the Baptist. Now, the Pharisees would have permitted a Jew to be baptized, but the way that the Pharisees would have recognized it was not just through the overt statement that a Jew is just as unclean as a Gentile. That was what was being said through what John the Baptist was doing when the expression baptism of repentance was used. But no, the Pharisees would have seen it a little bit differently. They would have seen it as a rededication. They would have seen it as an opportunity to restart, to begin once again. And the way that they would have recognized this would be to say that regardless, regardless of what the individual did before that day, it would never matter. The only thing that would be of concern would be that day forward. So when Jesus was baptized right here publicly, the Pharisees would have never questioned what Jesus' life was like before this day. There would never have been any question, any concern with regards to what Jesus said, what he did, if he sinned, if he didn't sin. There would be no concern, no question about it from the Pharisees' point of view. From this day forward, Jesus would have a new start and he would be evaluated by the Pharisees to determine if there was any sin in him whatsoever from this day forward. 
Now, the importance of this, of course, was with regards to his life before he was baptized. There are many people, and you probably have encountered someone, who has asked the question, what was the life of Jesus like before he started his ministry? What was it really like? We have an example of when he was 12. We do know that before he was 12, he was in Egypt for a period of time. What was his life like, and was he really as perfect as people would probably claim that he was? Do we have any evidence for that? Do we have any testimony concerning that? If we're going to suggest that he was God manifested in the flesh, there are some people who would prefer to have a little bit more evidence to go on in order to evaluate him to their personal satisfaction. And I can appreciate questions like that. I can understand questions like that. But during this time in history, Jesus was not there for the purpose of answering your questions. He was not there for the purpose of providing enough evidence for your satisfaction to determine whether or not he was as holy or as righteous as you think he should have been. He was there in the land of Israel to reach out to the people there in Israel at that time. And according to their theology, according to their beliefs, they would have been satisfied they would have been satisfied with him performing the baptism that he did with John, and then they evaluated him from that day forward, because according to their beliefs, that baptism was a means of conversion to Judaism and provided a person with an opportunity to have a new start in a new way of life, and when they began that new way of life, there would be no concern with regards to what their life was like before. And so you have to understand that Jesus performed his ministry in a certain context. And when he performed his ministry, he reached out to a specific group of people. And when he did, he spoke to them in the way that they could understand. He related to them in a way that they could understand. And as far as he is concerned, he is satisfied with the approach that he took, with the methodology that he used, with the things that he said. He is satisfied with that. He has stated very clearly that what he has done is enough and he is finished with the issue of salvation for humanity. You either receive what he is offering or you reject it. That is your choice. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net